Good evening. Thank you so much for coming. We will continue to discuss Sri Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha this evening. We are up to the 79th Anucheda. We're going to begin this evening by reviewing the uh, Chakra Sloki of the Srimad Bhagavatam because what we're going to find when we read the Chakra Sloki now, going back after this intensive from Jiva Goswami, we're going to see a lot there that uh, we've gone over in depth. I'm going to read uh, my spiritual master's English translation. This is from the second canto, ninth chapter, 33rd verse, 34th, 35th and 36th. These four verses basically are the initial instructions of Krishna to Lord Brahma. Srila Prabhupada translated as follows. Brahma, it is I, the personality of Godhead, who was existing before the creation when there was nothing but myself. Nor was there the material nature, the cause of this creation. That which you see now is also I, the personality of Godhead. And after annihilation, what remains will also be I, the personality of Godhead. Next verse. O Brahma, whatever appears to be of any value, if it is without relation to me, has no reality. Know it as my illusory energy, that reflection which appears to be in darkness. 35th verse. O Brahma, please know that the universal elements enter into the cosmos and at the same time do not enter into the cosmos. Similarly, I myself also exist within everything created, and at the same time, I am outside of everything. A person, this is the last verse of the four, a person who is searching after the supreme absolute truth, the personality of Godhead, must certainly search for it up to this, in all circumstances, in all space and time, both directly and indirectly. I've been thinking about the Anuchetas that we've been going over, especially in light of the Anuchetas we're going to review this evening. We've been talking a lot about a logical understanding of, of the nature of Paramatma and the material manifestation, what to, how to see it, how not to see it. And I think what we're, what we're going to see in these next two Anuchetas the whole point, what Jiva's led us up to at this stage, is complete absorption in consciousness which is directed towards the Supreme. And anything less than that is not going to be satisfying. It's not going to satisfy you logically, and it's not going to satisfy you intellectually, and of course it's not going to satisfy you emotionally. It seems like a lot to absorb, but if you look at it from that perspective, if you look at all these repeating arguments from all different angles of vision and the emphasis on not seeing the world as an illusion, but not being illusioned by the world that you see, it seems somewhat overwhelming 
but it's only overwhelming to the extent that we allow our consciousness to be turned away or it has been turned away or it is currently turned away from the Supreme. Now we're going to read some annotators tonight that are like, I have to get to this stage of, of consciousness. But yes, we do have to come to absolute, total Krishna consciousness. That means that there's not going to be any room for Maya. There's not going to really be any... The, pa- the post is going to be fully firmed up in our existence. The pounding of the post. Now we're po- pounding philosophical points into our, our brain. Pounding of, of the, the post that we hope to be shackled to nose ring and rope too for the rest of our life is a deep post it's a deep post that we want to go into our hearts so that we can't go out of the circle of that spiritual influence so let's go to this evening's anachetas and and see where jiva's taking all this and what does he mean when we say Krishna conscious, to be Krishna conscious. So Anucheta 79, the universe cannot be explained independently of Paramatma. In this way, Sukha concludes that the universe consists of the natural potency of Paramatma. Then he quotes another verse from that same section of the Srimad Bhagavatam wherein Sukadeva Goswami is instructing Maharaj Pariksit. Although manifest, the world cannot be explained in the least degree independently of Paramatma. If it were capable of being so explained, then it would be equal to a conscious entity like Paramatma. Jiva's explanation of this verse. Although the world is certainly manifest, yet even a minute part of it cannot be explained independently without Paramatma. This was pointed out in the explanation of Sutra 2.119 in Anucheta 71. If the world could be explained without him, then it would be equal in consciousness or self-effulgent like Paramatma. It would also have only one state always. So a little bit from the commentary. And in this commentary, uh, Sachin Das uh, takes us into a little bit of modern thought uh, regarding the nature of matter. So he opens up his commentary, the universe is not independent of Paramatma. Matter cannot exist independently of consciousness. Therefore, the universe of matter cannot be defined independently of it. Matter does not exist for the sake of matter, but for the sake of consciousness. In Bhagavad Gita, Sri Krishna says that matter is his inferior potency and consciousness. His superior potency. It is this conscious potency that upholds the universe. 
He goes on to explain that in the third canto, the explanation is giving of the Virat Rupa and how the Paramatma feature of the Supreme enters into the Virat Rupa. So we see that explanation there and basically as I've as we've explained it's it's a the, the whole Virat Rupa it's not like the, the Lord has a universal form although he permeates the whole universe it's so to see different aspects of the universe that we're acquainted with in relationship to the Lord it's a good beginning point to, to become aware of his all-pervasive nature in the material energy. Now he quotes um, and writes from a, uh, write, takes a little bit from a book by a, a modern scientist, uh, Michael Brooks, 13 Things That Don't Make Sense. And in there, there's a, he's, he's quoted a few paragraphs. One thing I found interesting is, so first you had all these scientists used to come together. These physicists would come together for a conference every year in, or a couple years, it didn't say, but, you know, they'd come together and discuss you know, their theories of, of the nature of, of the physical world around them. And these were the big, these were the big guys. You know, uh, uh, Einstein, Bohr, uh, Oppenheimer. I mean, you know, these guys were not lightweight thinkers uh, or mathematicians. They were, they were really into understanding how the world works and how how matter works and how this whole thing come about, and uh, and they got together uh, at a place, Solvay Physics Conference. So they it started in 1911, and uh, at one point we had, of course, Einstein coming along with this theory of relativity, and that. That played out pretty well for a few of the meetings. Yeah, that's, you know, everybody was, was yeah, that's, that sounds pretty good. But then it didn't hold up, and, and this whole idea of, of quantum thought came into being. So Einstein at one point was having a discussion with Bohr. So Einstein, he made a, 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 a I guess this is a popular remark that he made, uh, God does not play dice, you know, in a discussion with poor. He doesn't play dice. Quantum physics, like, is, well, it could go this way or it could go that way. You know, that's basically the quantum thing. I don't know it that well, but it has some, there's some, it may go one way or it may go another. It's we're, We can't really figure out because we can see Practically, that it's not consistent. So it's like a roll of the dice. And Einstein says, wait, I came up with the theory of relativity. This quantum theory just doesn't, it's, it doesn't work. So he's in this discussion with this other great, you know, physicist. And he says, God doesn't throw dice. So 
forget this your quantum thing and the, the other one the other uh, physicist Bohr's reaction faces up to scientists' biggest frustration and this is what how he responded their biggest frustration is they don't get a fixed set of rules and that's Einstein was looking from the old school basically it's fixed and quantum theory is not fixed. So the other Bohr said to Einstein, stop telling God what to do. <laughs> so they, they don't have the answer is the main point that he wanted to make in his commentary. They're still trying to figure it out. The commentary here ends up as follows. Of course, Sri Jiva has the answer to the question raised by Dr. Michael Brooks. Nothing can be explained satisfactorily without its cause, and Paramatma is the ultimate cause. Without taking him into consideration, all explanations are incomplete, even those given by the Nayaikas and the Advaitavadis. So all this, and we come to to this conclusion that without understanding Paramatma being the basis upon which the material manifestation comes into being, is manifest, is not manifest, is that he's the, he's the he's the key to the puzzle. And we can go with all the logic in the world, but unless you see him as the foundation, as the gaudias do, all your other logic, it really is not going to stand to the test of time. And that's basically what Krishna says to Brahma in the chapter of Yuha. Whatever to be appears to be of value, if you're seeing it without seeing me, then you're in Maya. You're seeing an illusion. You're not seeing reality. You're not seeing things for what they really are. So there's a couple more Anachetas that finish this up. The next one, Anacheta 80, Paramatma is free of adjuncts. Jiva raises a doubt. A doubt may be raised. If there is no transformation in the form of the universe without Paramatma, then how can Paramatma, having the limiting ad, limiting adjunct of the universe, be established as free of all such adjuncts? Does this mean that there is another unconditioned Paramatma different from the conditioned one? In other words, if the Paramatma feature of the Supreme Lord manifests with his potency the material manifestation, then he's, he must have been changed in some way. He, he can't remain changeless. Now here again, this is such a thought that he can't remain changeless is coming from the Vivartavad idea that 
Brahman is modified by ignorance. Well, Brahman can't be modified, so you've come up with the world through through your ignorance. So basically Jeeva's putting forth a counter argument. Well, the way you're presenting it, that this Parinamavad theory is that the Shakti of Paramatma is modified. It does go through changes. It does manifest and unmanifest the material creation. So, naturally, Paramatma is being modified by doing that. They can't comprehend the idea that it's a separate Shakti of the Supreme. So therefore, well, they come up with an idea like this. Well, so you have a Paramatma that's modified, that has his energy modified, and therefore you have a creation. So where's the Paramatma, which is like our Brahman, which is never modified? So there must be two Paramatmas. There must be the unmodified one, because we know that's the nature of the absolute truth, and a modified one. In response, Sri Sukha says, and again we quote from that same area of the Bhagavatam in the 12th canto, there is no plurality, nanatva, at all of the absolute truth. If one thinks of it as diverse, then he is devoid of authentic knowing. Because its plurality is like the distinction between the space enclosed within a pot and all-pervading space, between the light of one's courtyard and that pervading the world, and between the air outside and inside the body. So, yes, it's a fact. Paramatma is pervading everything. But Sukadeva Goswami is giving three analogies here. That he's pervading, but there's no difference for him. It doesn't matter if Paramatma's in a pot or outside the pot. In other words, air... The air in the pot and the air outside the pot is the same air. It's not different air. So, what's the other? The other analogy is that of light. We have light in the courtyard of your home and you have light that's lighting up the whole world. So, there's no difference. It's the same light. To see one light as different from the other light is 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 ignorance. It's not seeing things in proper perspective. And similarly, the air that you breathe. So, I guess the pot is what? Space. The pot is space. Speaking of space, and then the last analogy is air. There's air within our lungs, within our body, but there's air everywhere else. It's the same air. You can't see it as distinct. So, your idea that there's two paramatmas just look at the analogy. So this is Sukadev's response to that kind of a query. A doubt. And Jiva goes on to explain there is no plurality 
at all of the absolute truth, namely Paramatma. If one thinks of him as diverse, then he is devoid of authentic knowing, because his plurality, characterized by being with and without adjuncts, Upadis, is like the distinction between the space enclosed within a pot and all-pervading space. Basically, Jeeva's just saying the same the verse again. Uh, between the light in one's courtyard and that pervading the world, and between the air outside and inside the body. Shijiva Goswami has interpreted the verse under the discussion here in a specific manner, keeping the Advaita Vadi's view in mind. Although, according to them, Brahman is the only reality, yet they imagine that it has two categories, namely with Upadis and without Upadis. The Sopadika Brahman is the cause of the universe and without ontological reality. So they acknowledge to some extent a, the concept of an upadi of Brahman, but it's not ontologically accepted by them. It means it's not accepted as the absolute truth. It's it's kind of like I don't know what you would. It's 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 just a way of explaining away what they can't fully comprehend. They have no answer for the material manifestation. They really have no logical explanation that they can give. So they say, well, I guess you can say that Brahman can be modified by ignorance. And that ignorance, depending on its degree, will give you either the conception of a, a deity, a god, distinct from Brahman, a personality, or another entity. If the ignorance is greater in Brahman, if you project greater ignorance, you'll have a jiva. So, depending on the degree to which you you know, you you see Brahman as influence, then you can have this concept of the material world, which is an illusion. It just doesn't exist. And it will go away once you attain sufficient knowledge. Jiva's going to deal with that idea next. Okay, so that's that's on the horizon for us in our studies. Because Jiva's not going to buy into that either. That you can simply think your way out of it. Because that doesn't work. So, Sopadika Brahman is the cause of the universe and without ontological reality. Whereas Nirupadika Brahman is the ultimate reality and in fact the only reality. This view is not accepted. There is no divisions in Brahman or Paramatma. One may raise a doubt in this connection. 
Earlier in Anacheta 2, it was stated that there are three Purushas, or Paramatmas. So how can such polarity be denied here? You're denying a, the plurality that we're putting forth, that you can have a modified Paramatma that gives the universe, but you accept that Paramatma is manifest in three different forms. Karna Dakshai Vishnu, Garbo Dakshai Vishnu, and Kashira Dakshai Vishnu. So those are three Paramatmas. So this answers that. So how can such how can you deny our you 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 won't you won't accept ours, but you expect us to accept yours? The reply is that although there are three manifestations of Paramatma, there they are one ontologically. And that's the Vaishnava response. They are the same personality. There is no ultimate difference between them. Unlike the difference between the two Brahmans, Sopadika and Nirupadika, imagined by Advaita Vad. And this Adhacheta will wrap up this big section of the Paramatma Sandarbha dealing with the Bahiranga Shakti. And then we'll go on to a more detailed explanation. And Anacheta 81. All words signify Bhagavan. Jiva continues, since although manifest, the world cannot be explained in the least decree, degree independently of Paramatma, he alone is therefore signified by all words. Sri Sukha states this with the help of an example. The example is simple. Again, Sukadeva Goswami is continuing his instruction here. Just as a practical deal, just as in practical dealings, gold is perceived in many forms, being shaped by human beings through various actions. So Bhagavan, who is beyond sense perception, is described by people through words, both Vedic and secular. Through actions, nay. Namely, different manufacturing processes, gold is shaped into many forms, such as bangles and earrings, and is then known by words, vachobi, by their corresponding names. In the same way, Bhagavan alone is described by all words, because everything's basically, when you get right down to it, it's all it's all Bhagavan, whatever nomenclature you want. It's all Brahman. It's, there's nothing else. The main ingredient is God. Whatever name you want to give to that, you know, non-dual absolute, if, it's, if, you're, if you're seeing it in a different form, that's the problem, the seeing. The seeing and the naming. We see something and then we have to give it a name. That's, a, that's, that's necessary. But if you really saw things for what they are, ultimately, they would still have names, but all those names would be Krishna. And Lord Chaitanya became convinced of that and taught that. 
Well, yeah, that's it's all all these words, all these Sanskrit terms. It's all these are all names for Krishna. Chair, harmonium, bottled water. <laughs> it really is. It's all. It's all. Now, can you see like that and practically see like that in every instance? Yes, you can. That's called the Mahabhagavat. He doesn't see any distinctions. He sees no distinctions in the different bodies. He sees he he sees everyone as equal to himself. That's his vision. He there's no other vision he has. Of course he can't interact with the world. He can't really, you know, we consider him a crazy fellow. You know. And he is. He's crazy. He's materially unhinged. He's unhinged from the from the false reality of material existence. What a beautiful, beautiful life it would be if we could be so unhinged from the realities of our material existence. We get wrapped up in names and forms and and everything that we think we are and everything that we think we can be and everything we think we should be or we aren't. But if we just could just blow all that away and and have pure Krishna consciousness, purely be aware that everything and every word, that we everything is Krishna, and that's what Sukadev, okay, forget it. Let's just, let's get to the point of it. Because look at look at what Maharaj Pariksit's facing. Death is about he's about to face death face to face. The snakeberg is going to jump on his lap and that's it. And if he's not seeing with such oneness of vision, then he's going to see a distinction between the poison in the fangs and his body, and he's going to. It's going to be really upsetting. He's going to see a distinction between being alive and being dead. He's going to be seeing a distinction between, you know, taking a new body and being being the king that he was. All that is going to become very troublesome for him unless he can completely absorb himself in pure consciousness. And pure consciousness means that those distinctions are not seen. Material distinctions are just that, material distinctions. They have nothing to do with the self. There's no difference between me and the and the demoniac bird, that's, snake bird that's going to kill me. There is no difference. We are the same. The difference is there's a body between us. I have a body that ends there, his end. But there's really no difference. The constituents of of the 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 poison in his fangs and and the blood in my in my body it's just it's just a different combination of material elements which have nothing to do with the self so what a what a level of consciousness sukadev's really really psyching maharaj Pariksit up come on get with it Never was there just like your Judah was Krishna's there. Come on, what what are you worried about? I've already killed all these people. 
you know, Sukadev's saying, what are you worried about? You're already dead. But you're not dead because you were never alive. Why are you seeing life and death? Why are you seeing a distinction between the two? What kind of vision is that? That's not real vision. So here also, just working working all these ideas from Maharaj Pariksit, I, you can imagine. What's it, what's it take to be Krishna conscious at the moment of death? We're all going to be tested. It's all going to happen. We're all going to be there. And if we're going to think, oh my gosh, when am I going to start breathing? I can't, can I get my next breath? If we're worrying, if we're thinking like that, it's going to make it difficult. Just as Sukadev is preparing Maharaj Pariksit, he's preparing us. Maharaj Pariksit not going to be didn't go through anything more or less than we ourselves are going to be confronted with. It's going to come to that. And what are we going to say? Oh my, I need my body. Krishna's going to say, oh my, now I need to give you another one. That's the way it works. Krishna's so kind. If you're thinking, I need another one, he's thinking, okay, I really don't want to give it to you, but wherever your consciousness is at the time of death, that state you will attain. So the commentary is pretty simple, that we can understand the analogy of gold. You can call it a bangle, you can call it an earring, a nose ring, you know, whatever rings you're making, or bracelets, it's all gold. Everything in the world is all basic ingredient. It's all Bhagavan. Don't get hung up in the names. And really, don't care what people call you. Paramat is, is therefore called Sarvanama, all names in Skanda Purana. There are examples of Laukika statements proclaiming that all names pertain to Paramatma or Bhagavan. Remember those statements? Causes are of two types. Vaidika. Vaidika means that this, the cause is Vedic. It's seen as Vedic. That which is known from the Vedas. And Laukika, that which is known from empiric observation. The first type is knowable only through positive inference, anvaya. In other words, you accept it as a, as a statement, as, as, as truth, uh, meaning only through the positive existence of the cause. The second type, however, can be understood from both positive and negative inference, anvaya and vyatireka. So, first an example is given here of there's a lot of a lot of statements, laukika statements, proclaiming that all names mean Paramatma or Bhagavan. And there's also Vedic statements. And an example was given. My dear boy, this is from the Chandogya Upanishad. Just as by knowing a single lump of clay, all clay objects become known, so too all modification is but a difference in name having its origin in speech. Clay alone is the real substance. Another example. The basis of all golden jewelry is gold. The basis of all clay objects. If you know one, you know them all. The basic ingredient is clay. In this context, Sri Madhvacharya writes in his commentary on Brahma Sutra 1, the very first 
verse of the Vedanta Sutra, that all names ultimately signify Vishnu. He cites Balaveya Sruti as a proof, as a proof. In this world, consisting of name and form, there is nothing at all that has manifested from anyone other than him, Vishnu. The supreme truth in whom all names enter is called Vishnu. So that Anucheta completes this detailed explanation. So the next ten Anuchedas, 82 to 92, Maya's relation to the Jiva and Paramatma. So Anucheta 82. The Jiva is covered by the potency of Paramatma. The Jiva is covered by the potency of Paramatma. The Anucheta, Jiva Goswami writes, After thus affirming that the universe consists of Paramatma's natural potency and indicating that it is therefore that it therefore cannot be destroyed by the jiva's awakening to enlightened consciousness, Gyan, Sri Shuka, by way of example, next propounds the fault of the ego in covering the illumination of the jiva's intrinsic nature. For although the ego, Ahankar, is a potency of Paramatma, its nature is to affect the self's identification with matter. Sukha offers this teaching in order to instruct the conditioned beings to give up their identification with the world so that they can attain liberation. Same section of the twelfth canto. The explanation is given. Just as a dense cloud, though generated by the heat of the sun and made visible by the light of the sun, obstructs the eye, which is part of the sun, from beholding the sun, so the ego, which is an attribute of Brahman, Brahmaguna, and illuminated by it, Tad Iksita, obstructs the individual Atma, which is an integrated part of Brahman, from realizing Brahman. It is the sun rays alone that bring rain after being turned into clouds, as is said. The Brahmanas appropriately worship the sun by, by pouring oblations into the sacred fire. Rain ensues from the sun. Grains, in turn, are produced from rains, and people survive on grains. The meaning is as follows. Just as a dense cloud, which is generated, revealed, and illuminated by the sun alone, is darkness for the eyes, which are part of the sun, meaning that the dense clouds purge the earth and sky into abject darkness. In the same way, the phenomenal eye, consciousness, ahankar, which is an attribute of Brahman, meaning that it is a product of Paramatma's potency, and which is glanced upon by that Brahman, illuminated by Paramatma, is bondage for the individual Atma. This is to say that it covers the light of the essential nature of the Jiva, which is an integrated part of Brahman, meaning that it is an infinitesimal portion of Paramatma's 
intermediary potency. So we'll begin next class by unpacking that a little bit. It's pretty easily understood. I mean, basically, the sun creates the clouds, and the clouds obstruct our vision. So in a similar way, it's a manifestation of Paramatma's energy that allows us to buy into false identification, the false ego, and And where, where these anachetas are going to take us is to the fact that there's only way, one way to, to break out of this false identification. And it's not the way that the Brahmavadis, not the Brahmavadis, I want to say more the, the, the Advaitins, uh, propose. Because their proposition is if you can simply acquire sufficient knowledge, you can defeat ignorance. And when you've defeated ignorance, you will see that you are Brahman, you are spiritual. In and of itself, knowledge alone is, is the avenue to liberation. Well, that really isn't a fact. There's, it's a good start. I mean, we want to have knowledge, but really you need, you need help. And the next few anachetas are going to bring that out, that actually true liberation, mukti, naroda, from the ten subjects of the Bhagavatam, the final absolute destruction, that cannot take place with knowledge alone. It requires intervention of the Supreme. So this is a this is this is that beginning discussion and these ten Adachetas will will dive deeply into that understanding. Um, beginning with this one which is well how does it come about it doesn't come about from any outside influence other than Paramatma himself this whole false ego is is created from the material energy but you as we said it's not that the, the supreme is modified in any way we have a real ego, an understanding of our true self, a true understanding of self, and we have false ego, which is a misunderstanding of what we truly are. So I'll stop there. All right. Thank you so much for your association. Thank you.